Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. You know what? No hard times today. It's a new day. Yes, it is here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I am thrilled to welcome you all to our WWE episode where we are celebrating, yes, break the fourth wall, we are celebrating the coronation of Big E as your new WWE champion. We will talk all about that leading off today's show in the main event. Vintage Chris Benini is back after his one-week sabbatical here at Getting Over. College football and the NFL are in full swing. Our moods are on upswings, especially coming out of a Monday Night Raw that was not only incredible given the finish of the show, you know, a new WWE champion in Big E, but top to bottom as a three-hour program, one of the best editions of Raw we have gotten in quite some time, coming off of an absolutely incredible edition of SmackDown this past Friday night. There is so much to talk about on today's show, so much legitimately, and it's nice for a change to be excited about on today's show that I cannot wait for all of us to get into it. Before we do that, of course, a couple pieces of business that we need to take care of here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. A reminder off the top that Getting Over is all about five. We want those five-star ratings. We want those positive reviews. And the way you can help us out with those is by heading over to Apple Podcasts, clicking that fifth star and dropping some words about why you love the show, why you like listening, and why Getting Over is your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Those reviews matter immensely to our success, and we have seen some of the most listened to episodes in show history over the last couple weeks. You guys know I already told you that the SummerSlam Instant Analysis episode is the number one most listened to show of all time in Getting Over wrestling podcast history, but that's not all because the CM Punk edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast when he made his debut on Rampage is still our third most listened to episode of all time. And on top of that, the AEW All Out Instant Analysis, which uh, our AEW stuff usually does well, but it's not usually among the top episodes that we have. It is the number five most listened to episode all time here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So we're breaking records internally and we want to start breaking them externally. We want to be a permanent fixture in the top 25 podcasts for wrestling in the United States. You guys are listening from all across the world. I really appreciate it. Every time I look at the map and I see Australia and Israel and um, I think that's Germany. Yeah, that's Germany. Uh, All different. There's a huge cluster right in the United Kingdom. It's so awesome. Uh, Canada, Ireland, I already mentioned the United Kingdom. Uh, Yeah, it's so cool to have you guys listening to us from across the world. And it's so cool that when I look at our stats and our analytics, um, that I see brand new episodes that we publish finishing among the top five and 10 of all time. It's it's just incredibly cool. But those five-star ratings and reviews really help us uh, continue the growth, get new listeners and get new getting overheads to kind of join this really unique family that we have here. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, because not only do we post every episode of the show as soon as it goes live, we talk live about wrestling during all four major shows throughout the week. We have pre and post show polls for pay-per-views, 
live shows on Twitter spaces. And we even drop a little bit of news here and there when the Silver King gets the opportunity. So with all of that, uh, let's welcome in vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, we got a big meaty man slapping meat as the new WWE champion. How excited are you for today's show? I'm excited for Big E. I'm excited to be back after a week away dealing with family stuff. I'm excited to talk about wrestling, but I have to open up with a correction. Ireland is not in the UK. Well, yeah, don't, I was just I was just kind of going through it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want Seamus and Becky Lynch to get mad at us. Yes, I'm so aware. just yes. that. But awesome. It's northern, of, northern Ireland yes, is, yes, is yes. in the UK. Yes. Um, yes. Awesome episode of SmackDown. Awesome episode of Raw. Outside of pay-per-view recaps, this is maybe the most excited I've been for one of these WWE episodes in uh, quite a while. And I'll tell you, I love doing our instant analysis. I know the fans like them and we like doing them and stuff. But it's it's a drag, right? Like it's it's oftentimes midnight on the East Coast. I'm really tired of taking notes during a pay-per-view. I don't get to enjoy the show as much as I would if I was just sitting there and watching it, which I do on a replay, so I still get to enjoy it. Um, but this is different. Like we kind of knew what was going to happen last night, and we can talk about that. Certainly, we will talk about that in depth. But it's it's a moment that we've been waiting to see mm-hmm. for years that we said should have come a long time ago. And we hope is a moment that is not individual, like Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship. That was an individual moment. Um, and we knew that when Kofi lost the title, he probably would never win it again. With Big E, it doesn't feel that way. With Big E... This is the start of the next big main eventer in WWE. We haven't had that since Drew McIntyre, where someone has really been coronated to the degree where you know WWE is going to trust them going forward. And look, we don't know how this is going to play out. We're going to talk all about it in a moment. Um, But I am cautiously optimistic and cautiously enthusiastic about what I saw Monday night. Yes, and... Excited about Big E, excited about WWE in general. I mean, coming out of All Out, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole in AEW, and everybody's saying, how is WWE going to respond? And some of this may be tied to that. Some of it may be tied to Monday Night Football happening, the the the, the timing of having the Madison Square Garden show for SmackDown. But, you know, if WWE can give us more episodes like the last two, that's exactly what we want out of WWE. We want it to feel like a big event every time. You don't have to have a title change every time, but just like you watch the show, you feel like something exciting is going to happen. It feels like a party. You had two great crowds in New York and Boston, obviously. Um, so it was a good response for WWE after uh, after everybody kind of got excited about AEW. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think WWE did a fantastic job this week, but I don't know if you listened, if you had the time to listen to last week's podcast where I was writing solo, uh, but I was not enthused with WWE last week. And th- in fact, two SmackDowns ago, I thought it was a relatively poor episode. And Raw, despite there being moments within it that I found praiseworthy, um, it, it just wasn't really top to bottom a good week of television. So for WWE to come off that with this, not just Raw, SmackDown too, um, you know, it gives some hope. Going forward, the other thing that needs to be mentioned before we kind of slide into this main event is the crowds for both of these shows were incredible. Yes. You had your New York Madison Square Garden crowd for SmackDown. It was absolutely electric. The Boston crowd, and I tweeted this, I do not praise Boston. I do not (laughs) praise Massachusetts. 
people from there, anything having to do with sports from there, ever. Never will. However, okay, I will make an exception because that crowd last night in Boston for WWE Raw was among the best WWE crowds we've seen. I mean, I know we didn't have crowds for like 14 months, but in the last two or three years, it was one of the best TV wrestling crowds, including AEW shows um, that we've seen. They popped for everything. They made things work that otherwise shouldn't have worked. That crowd deserves a lot of credit, not just for Big E's moment, but for the entirety of that show, ensuring that everything on that show got over and that Raw felt like a big deal. Yep, exactly. It felt like a big deal. That's so important. That's what AEW said for a while now with Dynamite. Just the crowd is so into it. That adds so much to a show. That's why we wanted crowds back for wrestling because they are part of the show. That's part of professional wrestling. So two great crowds for the last two WWE shows have certainly added a lot. Yeah, and I will say, I thought SmackDown was a near perfect two hours. For Raw, you will never get a perfect Raw. You cannot do a perfect three-hour wrestling show especially with a limited roster, right. which is right. what Raw has right now. It's a very skeleton crew style roster. So for them to put on the quality show they did Monday night with that, not not lacking talent, but with a lack of depth in the talent, a lot of people we've seen, a lot of feuds we've seen, it really goes to show that when WWE tries, they can put on good wrestling, not just yep. sports entertainment. So with that, Chris... Let's get all excited. Let's feel the power of positivity here at Getting Over and slide into the main event. Now we're going to start, of course, for the first time in a uh, non-show-after-a-pay-per-view episode ever, it feels like, at least like a year. We're going to start with Raw because we want to talk the WWE Championship picture involving Bobby Lashley, Randy Orton and Big E. Uh, Big E on Twitter uh, Monday earlier in the day said he intended to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase on Raw. And that's after on Friday during SmackDown, we'll talk about this in a bit, announcing that he would be on Raw. So all of a sudden, the intensity and the interest certainly ratcheted up in WWE for Raw on Monday night. We'll talk about whether that was a good thing or bad thing going forward. Let's first discuss what actually happened on the show. So Raw opened with Biggie, RK Bro, Bobby Lashley, and MVP. They all made entrances. Biggie said he still planned to cash in the briefcase. Riddle begged him not to do it on Randy. And MVP <laughs> said it wouldn't be an issue because Lashley would retain. They tried to explain the schedule change of last week where originally the main event of Raw was supposed to be RK Bro defending the tag team titles against Bobby Lashley and MVP. They tried to explain all that away. They didn't really do a very good job of it. They switched it um, a couple days ago to the WWE Championship match, which was originally scheduled for Extreme Rules, Big E against Randy Orton. MVP said Big E established himself on SmackDown, but is clearly scared of Roman Reigns and or Brock Lesnar, but he should be scared of Lashley too. Big E and Lashley got into it. Uh, Orton hit the RKO out of nowhere on Lashley, and that ended the segment, which was already getting huge pops. All of those guys got pops for their entrances. Uh, Big E, every time he spoke, popped the crowd. But the RKO at the end just solidified it. The crowd was going wild for it. It was the second week in a row, Chris, that WWE opened Raw in a fiery way, like to really get the crowd excited. It set the tone and it set the stage for the entire show. 
Biggie and RK Bro in particular were massively over. MVP ensured that he and Lashley got a ton of heat going into the main event, which of course is always important. Uh, everything about this was a win, I think, especially considering WWE kept it in a really tight package. It was not one of those meandering segments. They kept it tight, 15 minutes, and they ensured all of it happened before the kickoff for Monday Night Football. Yeah, that that was good planning and timing on that. And and again, the last couple of weeks of Raw really have, have opened with new kind of interactions with people talking to each other, having Big E involved talking to Lashley and Orton. We haven't seen that in a long time. If, you know, I don't, who knows the last time, you know, MVP being out there a couple weeks back when you had uh, all the tag teams and, and stuff in there. And you have this dynamic where a tag team champion is going for the WWE championship, essentially, which is just a nice little like, this is how it should be. You've got guys who have a title and instead of being just locked off in their own world, they want to grab another another title. You you just have different people interact through different stories and it just feels a lot more authentic and natural. And I think that's led to the last couple of weeks of Raw, I think have had pretty good starts. I do think it's been a few weeks in a row. They're going back to the old formula of a lot of people in the ring at the beginning of the show. And I expect that we're going to see that now through the next four months, right? To combat mm-hmm. Monday Night Football. WWE's not going to start Raw with a match. I think they no. believe that Promos and character work are what get people glued to the screen and sell things that happen later in the show. I don't expect WWE to overload our three like they did this week. I think it'll go back to being more what it was a couple of years ago, where there's a main event at nine o'clock and there's another main event like at 945 crossing into the 1015 hour and whatever the third biggest matches will be the main event of the show. I think that's what they're going to do going forward. But that's also just a little bit of speculation. I'm, and, and I and I agree with that opening with a promo. Like I'm, I I'm love, not against it. Yeah, I love AEW and Dynamite, but I'm not often in love with the matches that they're starting off with, especially coming out of a pay per view like they did last week. All out. I wanted to hear from CM Punk and Brian Danielson and Adam. Yeah, I did not want mat- that match. And yeah, just to start with a match was just like, ah, no, that's not what I want. Yeah. So this is in not always, but in general, I, I think the way WWE's starting these last couple of shows uh, works. Or at least some, it doesn't have to be promos in the ring. You can do storytelling backstage, a cold open. Sure. Um, you can do a number of different things to captivate the viewer. You can have a match six, seven minutes into the show. That's fine. I just, the first thing I see, I I understand that AEW does it differently and I'm okay with that. I don't hate the way AEW does it. For my taste, I would prefer something a little bit more storyline driven to kick off the show. Yeah. And again, it does not have to be promos in the ring. It can, there's a million, it can be Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville discussing the card and someone walking into their office. It can be an attack backstage. Those are actually a lot of things that WWE has stopped doing that it really should to, to kick off shows. It should do the attack in the parking lot, um, you know, controversy over a title match. You know, all those types of things are, are interesting ways to start shows versus entrance Entrance, yeah. entrance, promo, promo, promo. So yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. So let's keep going. So Biggie uh, connected with New Day backstage. I guess reconnected and asked Kofi Kingston for advice, considering he's a former WWE champion. Kofi said he doesn't need advice because Biggie has everything it takes to be the world champion. Then they chanted and danced around together. Uh, Riddle annoyed Orton backstage, so he put on headphones. Biggie then went into the locker room and taunted Orton with the briefcase. MVP later said Lashley wasn't scared of Biggie and actually dared him to cash it in because he would lose. Biggie reminded all of them 
that he intended to cash in the money in the bank briefcase. I thought all these little segments really worked to add excitement and curiosity to the main event. It was the second week in a row that WWE did a good job building anticipation. Obviously, last week they had the tag team turmoil. They split up, but they still kind of kept it in the vein of the show over that middle hour or middle hour and a half, I guess. This week, huge opening segment, number of backstage segments connecting to a huge main event segment. Yep, that makes it feel like a bigger deal when you're reminded of what's coming up. Sometimes they don't do that. And and it's 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 a they need to they they need to kind of remind you, give you a reason throughout the show to be like, hey, I I don't see that opening segment. All right, I'll come back in two and a half hours for the match. It's hey, there may be some things happening throughout the show I need to pay attention to. That's good. So I think with about 20 or 25 minutes left, we got the main event, the WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley defending against Randy Orton. Uh, Lashley got distracted by Riddle after the bell. Orton kicked his ass outside. Orton went after Lashley's shoulder, but hurt his own knee early in the match. Orton hit a huge superplex, but Lashley helicoptered him into the ring post and speared him in the corner. Orton then countered a spear into a power slam for a near fall and hit a draping DDT. Lashley countered the RKO into a spear, but Orton kicked out at 2.8. Orton avoided the hurt lock and hit an RKO, but MVP dragged Lashley under the ropes to avoid a potential pinfall. MVP then argued with Riddle outside. So Orton came from behind and RKO'd him. The crowd was electric. It was on fire for Orton. But when he came rolling back into the ring, Lashley caught him with a spear for the win. Lashley then helicoptered Riddle into the ring post and put Orton through the announce table with an almighty spinebuster. But when he fell with the almighty spinebuster, he landed bad, hurt his knee, and started selling his injured knee on the delivery. I thought this was a fantastic match from start to finish, Chris. About 3.75 stars in the B+. It was booked extremely well with Orton looking like he could have and maybe should have beaten Lashley multiple times. But Lashley's dominance, the MVP factor, all of that winning out in the end. And the overzealous, dangerous, whatever you want to call it, post-match attack, it set up not only a good excuse for Lashley, but a good storyline for him immediately going forward. It also allowed him to still look dominant. I mean, it's one thing to already beat a, I think a 14 time world champion in Randy Orton, which he did, and he did it relatively clean, but to then dominate that person and the, uh, his other partner, who's also a tag team champion after the match, it kept Lashley looking like a beast. They did WWE, I think, did everything it could do to keep Lashley elevated in a way that when Miz cashed in on Drew McIntyre, they actually failed to do. Yeah, the the match was, it was solid. And it wasn't, obviously not a five-star work match or whatever, but it told a good story. And you had a lot of things around it that kept you captivated for it while it was going on. And then when the the knee thing happens, I think you might have tweeted this too, it, you started to wonder, oh, is this going to be a way for Lashley to get out of it? You know, it, 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 is he not going to be able to compete because of the injury or something like that? I was sho- added, I was actually a little bit shocked. I nailed that. Uh, yeah, it, I was it very was, surprised. It yeah. was a bit. It, it was kind of some drama. You know, I, I it, the match ends. I'd honestly forgotten about the cash in. I wasn't looking at the clock. The football game was going on too, so I was kind of watching two things at once. But I see Lashley, and I was like, oh, all right. And I kind of see the beat down. I was like, all right. And then when when Biggie's music hit, I was like. Oh, yeah, I actually totally forgot this was happening. 
I got to pay attention to what's going on. This is pretty crazy. Lashley's hurt. What's going to happen? It was it was a great build to that moment for the final five minutes. It really was the um, the injury to Lashley when they did that. I was convinced that WWE was kind of teasing us this whole day because mm -hmm. Big E, when he tweeted and every time he spoke about cashing in the money in the bank briefcase, he said he, quote, intended to right. cash in the money in the bank briefcase. And people went insane on social media, WWE hotshot booking and um, all this type of stuff. But there's a couple things to remember, and we're going to talk about the reality behind this decision, the booking, all that after we get to this. But the reality is faces who win money in the bank frequently call their shots. Not always. A lot of them will cash it in and surprise and, and get huge pops and all that. But it is not abnormal for a face to say, I am going to challenge you this day, or you better watch your back, you know, because I'm going to be there after the main event. Or in Rob Van Dam's case, to John Cena, I'm going to cash in at one night stand, be ready, you know, because I'm going to kick your ass and win the title. So it is definitely not abnormal for faces to telegraph cash-ins. It just felt like the way this happened had a lot of people on edge. And as I tweeted, there is this general perception now when it comes to WWE and some of it's earned. I'm not saying it's not, but wrestling fans have been warped to believe that every decision WWE makes is either automatically bad from a booking perspective and or a direct reaction to AEW because they've been conditioned to believe that by really one person in particular, two <laughs> people, uh, that person and his teammate, if you want to, if you want to kind of put them together. And it's not the case and it wasn't the case here, but because of that and because of the consternation that surrounded this going into the main event, I was almost positive that what WWE was going to do was figure out a way for Biggie to follow through and intend to cash in the money in the bank briefcase, but ultimately be unable to. And whether that would lead to a Rob Van Dam style planned cash in, for example, at Extreme Rules, now that Lashley does not have a singles opponent, or um, just him retaining the briefcase and it being a tease and kind of moving forward, I personally thought WWE did not need to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase in order to pop the rating and fulfill their promise of intending to cash in the briefcase. So before we get to what happened, I'm wondering what you thought about the circumstances around this and whether you agree or whether you disagree with me and maybe you think they absolutely had to do it based on Biggie calling a shot. I don't think they had to. I was also of the mind that they weren't going, something was going to happen and I was dreading it. Not because, oh, WMS or whatever, because I didn't want that to happen to Big E. I didn't want him to call his shot and then it not happen because that makes him look bad. And so that was my thought going in. I, I had missed the live tweet. I had seen some people tweeting about Big E and I had to kind of go to WWE's account to figure out what was going on because yesterday was a very busy day for college football stuff. And so when I saw it, I was like, oh, oh, they're going to do this because of Monday Night Football. You know, even if Big E does win it, couldn't there have been a better way to do it? Because that's how we always 
think about WWE now, we always think about it from a as if we're the booker perspective. Like we never just like appreciate anything for what it is anymore. And for, you know, there is reason, like you said, WWE has promised things and under delivered before. We've seen a million attempted cash ins that don't actually end up being cash ins. So we're kind of conditioned to expect something to go wrong uh, with a cash in. So, yeah, I think there was understandably people were. um a, a, a bit dreading kind of what was going to happen. Excited going to watch it, but just like not expecting what we got in the end. Sure. So let's get into what we got and then we can kind of break all of this down on the back end. So Lashley's knee is injured. He's kind of climbing back into the ring uh, slowly on the steps. And he's, by the way, doing an incredible job selling this knee injury. We'll talk about Lashley later. Uh, Biggie's music hits. He comes down with the briefcase. There's about either six or five minutes left in the show. And I'm like, oh, they're going for this. Like, they're not messing around here. And he gives the briefcase to the referee. Bit Lashley is waving his arms at the referee. I'm, I can't go. Like, I don't know what you think you're doing, but I can't go. The referee hands the briefcase outside the ring and the ring announcer says, Biggie has cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase. And Raw goes to commercial. And I lost my mind. Truly. Because it is asinine in kayfabe. Because the point of Money in the Bank is to capitalize on a moment. If someone is injured or hurt or taken out at the end of a match, still suffering the effects of a finisher, the point of the Money in the Bank briefcase is to cash it in while they are prone, not giving them time to recover. I believe referees do ensure that the competitor, the champion is able to stand up in the corner or something like that before ringing the bell, to be fair. Um, but it's it's to do it in such a quick, fast-paced way that you as a viewer almost can't stand how much is happening. And it's it's flooding you with emotions and flooding you with excitement. And instead of that, WWE goes, hey, go watch some ads. And then they come back and there's only two minutes left in the show. It came back at 10.58 p.m. And again, all of this was on purpose, Chris. The whole point was to get you to stay and not tune over to Monday Night Football so you could come back and watch Big E potentially win the WWE Championship. Well, I, I don't think I don't think it was quite that. It, it wasn't don't leave. It was, hey, tell your friend. Because I texted oh, that my too. brother. That too, you're I, right. I, I texted yes. my brother. He said, yes. hey, Big E cashed it in. He's about to go for the thing. So I, I think that was I think that was the biggest part. It was not necessarily keep people from leaving. It was to bring people over. And you're, at least in my situation, it worked. You're actually 100% right. I, I'm wrong there. It was for social media to blow up. It was for um, other people to kind of start going crazy about it, for friends to call friends, and for anyone who just may be alerted to this possibility to tune into Raw and even flip off potentially. Monday Night Football for a couple minutes to see the end of the show. But I still believe that could have been accomplished without a three or four minute commercial break. Because again, in kayfabe, it's just so stupid and asinine yeah. nope. to, to go to commercial in that circumstance. Yeah, no, it, it, this is like we talk, we talk about all the time, like <laughs> professional sports, they don't go to commercial as soon as somebody gets in the red zone and they're like, come back to find out what. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine first and goal from the 10? Hey, we'll yeah. be right back. They come back. It's third and one. Yeah. You're like, Unless what just happened? 
There yeah. has to be a timeout called. Like basketball doesn't go to commercial in the middle of the play. <laughs> like, like yeah. That, that so yes, I've I've been annoyed by that for quite some time. Right. I mean, if they wanted to do an injury delay, they could have had a delay. I saw that in the arena in Boston. Sonia Deville came out and she's like, "Hey, look, we got to consider uh, Lashley's injury here. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to allow this match to happen." They oh, could have done that. all of that on television where yeah. Biggie's in the corner getting hyped up. The crowd's chanting for him. Sonya Deville's music hits. They swerve us as that she's not going to let him cash in. And then what ends up happening, it, and I'll talk about it in a second, would have even worked better than it did because you're watching all of it unfold live and you're like, oh my God, WWE is kind of going to screw Biggie and screw us. Oh wait, no, they're not. And oh my God, it's really happening. And it still would have given people time to flip over to the channel. Because what happened when we came back is commentary explained what the commercial break didn't, which was that Lashley was refusing to compete due to his knee injury. So Biggie walks up to Lashley, slaps him across the face, and Lashley, I saw the words come out of his mouth, says to the referee, ring the fucking bell. Okay? <laughs> And that's great. Like, that's, that's, that's awesome, right? But I would have loved to have been told that story this entire time, as opposed to Corey, you know, telling me when we come back from commercial, hey, this is what just happened over the three minutes you weren't watching. After yeah. one of the most popular people in the company yeah. cashed in, like, one of the most popular kayfabe booking um, strategies that we have in the company. Sorry you didn't get to see it, but let me explain it to you. That's bullshit. Come on. Yeah, like I, 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 from a business perspective, I get it. Like I said, I texted my brother, told him to turn on the show at, when it went to commercial. But as someone who is watching the show and watched the whole show, right, that's annoying. And so that always kind of comes back to which type of audience are you trying to cater to at that moment? And wrestling fans, especially WWE fans, are, are used to kind of being. Um, Taken for granted in that sense. And by the way, I don't know how long Money in the Bank has existed. You Maybe you can look it up while I'm talking. That has never happened in the history of Money in the Bank before, where someone's been cashing it in and they've gone to commercial. It's just ridiculous. Okay, let's yeah, get past that. Yeah. <laughs> let's get past that and actually talk about the exciting shit. So Raw comes back. I told you what, what uh, Biggie did. He slaps Lashley. They ring the effing bell. Biggie takes out Lashley's knee, but comes back, eats a spear from Lashley, kicks out of it at 2.5. Then he came back with the big ending to pin Lashley clean one, two, three, right in the middle of the ring and become the new WWE champion. The crowd went absolutely crazy. I mean, people, they were jumping, cheering, hugging each other. Like the pan shot where you saw all those people go nuts. I can't, I was going to say, I can't remember the last time it happened. I remember the last time it happened. It happened when Biggie won the Money in the Bank briefcase, okay, in July. That's the last time. A ton of pyro goes off. New Day runs down. But because Raw came back with only two minutes left and we got a one-minute match, we barely got to watch him celebrate before Raw goes off the air. So let's start as we should with Biggie winning the damn WWE Championship. I was over the moon. Now, I did not cry like I did when Kofi Kingston won because I was there in New York. It was emotional. I was around families who were crying, a lot of black families in particular with kids who were really excited. And it was, it was such a touching, unique moment to be there. Um, and with Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship, it always felt like an impossibility that somehow became reality. 
with Big E, even though we've been waiting forever, we knew it was inevitable. We knew one day Big E would become WWE champion. But I was still incredibly emotional about this. I actually, even talking about it right now, have goosebumps. The crowd was tremendous. The booking we'll discuss. For WWE, though, to buy into Big E like this, to reunite New Day on Raw, and put half the company now behind Big E and New Day is incredible. No one on that roster deserves, you want to talk about you deserve it, that chant? No one on that roster deserves it more or has deserved it more than Big E. You could see the outpouring of affection from WWE's entire roster and plenty of other wrestlers, AEW internationally, on social media. There was a report this morning before we taped the show that a large portion of SmackDown's roster was almost upset they weren't at Raw to be able to celebrate (laughs) with him. You know how many title changes there are in WWE? You know how you never hear that, okay? There was Mm -hmm. also a report this morning that morale backstage at Raw was super high all night and especially high after the show because they feel like WWE is actually listening and did something that fans have wanted and that they have wanted for one of their peers for such a long period of time. For the man, for the character, and for what this means for WWE going forward, the second time in history that a black man has lost a world title to another black man, the first time that's happened in 20 years since Booker T and The Rock, the fourth black WWE champion in history. I am so ridiculously happy for the person, for the character, and for the company in some degree, because Mm -hmm. it makes me think that WWE, even if it's just like, you know, you know when someone's in a coma, right? And and you, you don't know if they can hear you, but you hope they do. You know what I mean? It feels like that, like WWE is in its own world and fans want X, Y, and Z and they don't listen and they don't do it. But maybe this just peeked through. Maybe somehow it got into the right person's ear that Biggie needed to be the Money in the Bank winner and Biggie needed to be the WWE champion. And it happened. And we don't get too many moments like this, not just in WWE, in wrestling across the board. And it was so great to be able to experience one of them. Yeah, everybody's so happy for Big E for such obvious reasons. You know, I saw a bunch of AEW wrestlers on Twitter congratulating him. You love to see that. Everybody loves the guy. We've we've known he's had that ability to be the breakout star for a while. He's kind of gone through his own journey with it. They even put that in kind of that story with the Miz and is he too jokey and stuff like that. And that stands out more than anything else. I just we just talked about how when we talk about WWE, we, we so often talk about the booking around it and not as much about the moment. And this is an example of why we don't need to do that. You can just be incredibly happy for Biggie and that's it. And like you said, it's an example of WWE knowing what they have, knowing what the people like and just giving it to them. No, this wasn't Biggie at a WrestleMania defeating Roman Reigns for the for the triumphant moment. Uh, it wasn't the long, uh, you know, Kofi Kingston underdog story, stuff like that. But you know what? We got Big E as WWE champion, and that's great. And, on, and I, again, on, on the heels of two really good episodes, SmackDown and Raw, like this is what we want WWE to be. If they're going to give us a good show with a good finish and the person we like winning the championship, that's it. That's all we need. 
You know, that that that's just you don't need to think about, oh, could Biggie have won it at another time? Oh, should should they have should they have announced this last week? Should the story wasn't there? Like, no, that that's not don't get into that mindset. Don't get into that that brain that we so often react to. And that's one thing about AEW is that people largely don't think like that. They just seeing people they like do cool things. And that's that's what we want as wrestling fans. It's exactly what WWE's done the last two weeks, the last two episodes here. So it, it like you said, I'm happy for the company because that's exactly what they need to be doing. And you're more than happy for Big E, a guy who played at Iowa uh, football. Uh, only if you haven't watched, I think it's the 24, the WWE 24. It is. I think it was of very e, one of the best they've ever done. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Talks about how he got discovered to go play football at Iowa uh, while he was a senior in high school, has a bunch of knee injuries, can't really play football, doesn't know what's next. Connections with Iowa wrestling, get him connected with Jim Ross and he makes it to NXT. And for him to get to this point, it's just an awesome, awesome story for an awesome dude. And we can just be really happy about that. Yeah. And by the way, uh, we're so excited for Biggie that this podcast, this meaty, beefy podcast that we have here, that didn't even hit a single sound drop. Hey, How Big have we e. not gotten that yet? <laughs> hey, Big E, thank you. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's what we got to say. Oh, we got two we did get that, and one of them won the WWE Championship after a match that had a lot of beef flying out there in the ring. And look, in the end, Chris, we know that this was not ultimately a tough decision for Vince McMahon. There's a lot of beef out here. When he sees that beef, you know he's crowning that beef as WWE Champion. So congrats, of course, to Big E. Now, you know... Before we talk about how WWE booked this, I want you to remind you all a little bit of my Money in the Bank mantra. The point of the briefcase, right? We talk about this all the time on this podcast. It's to build up a new main eventer. It's to serve as a storyline element to get someone over and build anticipation over a long period of time. And it's to serve as an exciting, unpredictable moment that's going to pop fans and make headlines unexpectedly where it kind of comes out of nowhere. And in recent years, WWE has failed in nearly all three of those areas for every person that's won the Money in the Bank briefcase. You're talking immediate cash-ins for women, the wrong winners for the men. Even though, yes, we did love Brock Lesnar with the briefcase. He was funny. He never needed to win Money in the Bank. And by him doing so, someone else like a Mustafa Ali didn't get the opportunity. Uh, but... Bad booking across the board with Money in the Bank, whether male or female. This year, they failed again with Nikki Ash, completely. Yep. But it looked like they were going to succeed in all three areas with Biggie. Instead, as far as I'm concerned, they only really succeeded in one, and that was getting a little bit more attention on him. But they didn't follow through with that to have him win multiple feuds and build himself up as a main eventer. And in the end, let's talk about how they booked it. So WWE not only booked it this way to compete against Monday Night Football, which was clear, but they telegraphed the entire thing to such an insane degree that it took what could have been and maybe should have been an organic, surprising moment 
and almost made it an expectation. And then after doing all of that telegraphing, they do the commercial thing that I already talked about. They actually changed the title at 10.58 p.m. on the East Coast, where a lot of their fan base, their kids that watch Raw, might be sleeping. Maybe their parents let them stay up. But there's a lot of kids who definitely didn't see it. And the coronation of Big E with New Day, maybe with the locker room in another circumstance, you would have the locker room come out. We didn't really get to see that. We didn't get to sit there and enjoy and revel in the moment like we did when he won the Money in the Bank briefcase on the pay-per-view. Yes, they were competing against Monday Night Football, but they were competing against Monday Night Football. Your audience's attention is diverted. The win in that moment, at least in my opinion, didn't have the same impact it could have if it was unopposed. I would have loved to have seen them either announce Biggie for Raw, which he mentioned on Friday, and just tease it all night into surprising us at the end, or do this at the end of a pay-per-view as a way to get people to watch the following Raw, or perhaps do this entire thing last week and you crown Biggie as the new WWE champion, and then you promote his first appearance, or you have Biggie last week on Raw challenge Lashley straight up for the WWE title the following week on Raw, and then you have them have a real match and you never make Randy Orton the number one contender. I think there are so many other ways, Chris, that this could have been booked better. That doesn't mean this was booked poorly. WWE ultimately did a really good job here, and we have to give them credit for that. But it does feel like one of those situations where the Money in the Bank briefcase was not really utilized to its full potential, but it was utilized a little bit better than it has been in recent years. I realize what we are doing right now is the exact thing I just said five minutes ago. It's nitpicking, it is. But 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 we're we're here to converse. We we are aware. (laughs) We're here to converse and analyze, you know, converse about wrestling and analyze booking. We do it on every show. And just because we love something doesn't mean that we can't talk about it. Yes, exactly. And and this is this also goes to sometimes people think we criticize AW too much. No, th- this is this is nitpicking. We we are aware. If I don't think see, to, I don't really think this is. I mean, I said that. I don't know that it's nitpicking. I think it's reasonable analysis and commentary. No, it, 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 it's it's not something you need to do in the moment. It's it, it's it's enjoy the moment. I think the day after as we're doing this is it, it, it is fine. If you were to, we all fantasy booked for months. Uh, uh, how is Biggie going to win? When, when is Biggie going to win? Is it going to be at WrestleMania? He takes down Roman or does he cash in? Does he announce he's going to cash in at WrestleMania? And to, that's his match. And instead we get it announced with a tweet beforehand. And then it happens on the show. And no, that's not the way you would have drawn it up. You, you would have had some build to it. Like last week, say, Hey, I'm going to cash in next Monday. So watch Raw. <laughs> like, this is not the, the ideal way to do it. So that's what I'm saying. It was not ideal. That, that's yeah. And, and that's fine. It doesn't take away from the moment for Biggie, which is the point we're trying to say. But if we're going to if we're going to play wrestling boss, then that's that's not the way I would have done it leading up to the moment. Um, I, I, I would. I, I, I'm a big belief of, like you said, the face announces that they're going to cash it in ahead of time, basically just gives you a match. It's a face thing to do. It's it's opposed to sneaking in like a heel or something like that. And and did we expect it on a Raw 
uh, of Monday Night Football. No, you're right. Do it last week. Do it the last Raw before before you have uh, Monday Night Football. You want a really power rating. So, you know, it is what it is. I think you could have done it. You could have just built to it better. But that doesn't take away about that doesn't take away the joy in the moment. Agreed. Uh, now that we've broken all of that down, I want to get a couple other things out of the way here because, man, some of the tweets I got yesterday and some of the tweets I saw people on Reddit, I just kind of want to clarify some things. Uh, you guys and girls really need to stop feeding into this warped reality that's been created. I mentioned this earlier, that every booking decision that WWE makes is automatically bad and or a direct reaction to something about AEW. I saw a certain wrestling journalist who I used to respect propagating the idea that WWE booked Biggie on Raw because AEW had a hired demo on a show that does not compete head to head with WWE. It's on a completely different night. I'm going to go off about this too when you're done. The truth here, and I have a source on this, so I'm not just speculating or pulling out of my ass. The truth is that WWE booked Big E to win the title because USA Network has been pressuring them for big moments and new stars because WWE has been relatively tanking, as we've discussed, its booking on Raw. And because with Monday Night Football coming up and Week 1 always being uh, a big game and always being a big show that WWE puts together to combat it, they felt they needed to do something bigger on that show to go head to head with Monday Night Football, which they actually care about on Monday, not AEW two days later. All of the stuff with Reigns and Biggie stalking Paul Heyman was a swerve. It had been a swerve for at least a month, if not two months. This was not a change in booking plans, and it had nothing to do with AEW. I have two sources in WWE who would 100% know this. And they reached out to me because they saw my tweets yesterday and they saw an assumption I made going into Raw that they wanted to clarify. Furthermore, uh, this guy, Andrew, I think his name's Zarian of the Matman podcast, who has been breaking a lot of news recently. Congrats to him. He has some good sources within USA Network. He reported Monday night that Biggie was supposed to cash in and win the title from Lashley on the original WWE draft date. And that was originally scheduled for two weeks ago. Obviously, WWE never announced it. So that to me plays into what I heard. that This was the booking for at least a couple of months, if not longer. Of course, Biggie just won the Money in the Bank briefcase in July. So there hasn't been that much time. Now, what I think happened, and this part is speculation. The first stuff I just told you are facts. My speculation is that WWE pushed the cash in from August 30th to October 4th, the new draft date when the draft was going to be on Raw the second day. They announced that, by the way, on Monday night, and then pushed it up two weeks to compete against Monday Night Football because they didn't think RK Bro against Lashley and MVP would be strong enough. Now, do I love that? No, not really. I don't love that they announced the tag team title match, canceled it, put a WWE title match on the show, and then did the Money in the Bank stuff on Friday all the way through Monday. But what I just told you, all of this is facts and educated speculation, as opposed to complete and utter bullshit that you are hearing from others 
who have a vested interest in propping up one company while shitting on another. And if you look at those people's Twitter feeds and you notice that they sent all this stuff out and then saw how it played out and didn't tweet once during Raw or a single thing about WWE or a single thing about Biggie winning the championship, it really tells you all that you need to know. So I'll pause here since you said you had something to say, but I wanted to clarify to our audience what we know to be true. And it is not what many wrestling fans these days have been led to believe by certain individual or certain individuals because of one reason or another. Wrestling Twitter is exhausting at the moment. It, it You don't need to prop up one company over the other. And this goes both ways. There are AEW stands on Twitter who just shit on every single thing WWE does. And there are WWE fans who do the same thing. I do not believe that is the majority of wrestling fans. I do not believe that is the majority of our listeners. We love both companies. We love all the shows that are going on. It, that's okay. Well, we don't normally love Raw, but yes. Well, that's true. We don't normally <laughs> we give love it a Raw. Chance. <laughs> but we <laughs> love <laughs> we have loved SmackDown. We love Dynamite. I don't watch NXT. But it, it's it's just exhausting and there is like you said just it feels like there's a vested interest of people whether it's media connections i don't know or just fans who feel like they need to stand up for one billionaire over another to defend the company you don't need to do that you can enjoy both things smackdown which we'll get into was an unbelievable show and i saw some aw people being like Hey, I didn't watch. Was it any good? And people were like, eh, it was typical. Like, just like, you, it's just, you don't need to do that. If, if if somebody does something good in wrestling, it's okay to just enjoy it. You saw a bunch of WWE wrestlers tweeting they were happy for Ruby Soho. You see a bunch of AEW wrestlers tweeting that they're happy for Big E. Like, this is not the same kind of war it used to be. And I know coming out of All Out, I said it's a war. It is a war in general, but it's not a war that impacts you, the fan, necessarily, because you're not choosing one show over the other on a Monday night. Um, wrestling is the Monday night war ratings were better for both companies. They lifted each other. It's not like ratings were bad for one and good for the other because of the show. And that's definitely not the case here. If AEW is is really good and the ratings are going up and that convinces WWE to make a just try to put on a better show and USA says they need stars and moments that's good and just like just just appreciate good wrestling and good wrestling TV for what it is and don't feel like you need to jump into these exhausting Twitter wars between fans that just have to fight this proxy war on behalf of two different billionaires and just stop and it's not even a proxy war cuz again like you just pointed out they're not going Head to head. It's a, uh, it's a fake proxy. War, yeah. a- a- AEW on having a dynamite with the debuts of Brian Danielson and Adam Cole and Ruby Soho on TV coming out of a pay-per-view being like two hundredths of a demo ratings point higher than Raw is not going to lead to WWE putting the title on Big E in a hot shot booking decision. WWE going up against the behemoth that is Monday Night Football and if you look at historically the WWE cards and booking on the Raw against week one, Monday night football, going back, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, 
There's WWE championship matches and title changes and huge moments on the show. This was another one of those. Just, I'm sick of people falling into this like vortex of everything being about AEW just because one person tells you that it is. That person is wrong. I don't know. I don't know that they're lying. I don't, I don't ever want to call someone a liar. Um, I think that their sources are nowhere near as good as they used to be. And they're badly misinformed. And also, I think a lot of times speculation when it comes to wrestling, and this doesn't really happen in regular sports, at least it doesn't happen as much. Speculation from news reporters and wrestling gets taken as fact. And it shouldn't be. There are. It's okay to speculate. Hey, I, I wonder if WWE did this because this. Oh, actually, you know what? No, let me use my brain. Uh, it's because they're going up against Monday Night Football. You know that that's yeah. on cable. That you know it's on ESPN. It's a cable head to head, right? It was on ESPN and ABC and ESPN two, by the way. Right, right. So and, and, and that's for week and that's for week one. So just like think things through a little bit more. Realize. That yes, I do think WWE has in the past and will in the future occasionally do some things to combat AEW. Bringing Brock Lesnar back, I think was probably done in that moment because WWE obviously knew it was happening with CM Punk and wanted wanted a a big headline of their own. But that was not a react to a ratings point. It was a react to someone making headline news nationally. CM Punk made headline news. But Becky Lynch's return wasn't because of that. Becky Lynch's return was because Sasha Banks couldn't compete. So you can't just attribute everything to this other organization that exists when WWE has other reasons for doing business in certain ways. We got to move. And real quick, also, Go one thing it. about the Monday Night Football, I feel bad for Big E because it was an amazing finish to the football game. It was, so d- I don't depending know, what team you're rooting for, but yeah. I don't know how many people ended up flipping over or not. And at the end of the night, my timeline was full of people talking about the game and just a handful of wrestling people talking about Big E. Um, so I, I I don't know what the rating's going to be. Don't really care. Happy for Big E. Would have loved for him to get an even bigger audience for that. But uh, that, that goes back to what I was talking about earlier in, in that I wish they could have done this in so many other different ways where right. he didn't win the title head to head with the end of the fourth quarter in a close game. Well, you know and also I mean? remember, by the way, Big E, he won the Intercontinental Championship on Christmas. He did. Yep. So they like, they are clearly using him to to try to boost ratings in in difficult moments, and as I, 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 that's unfortunate, I think for him, but it also tells you what they think they have in him for sure. Now we've spent nearly an hour talking about Biggie, which is deserved, and this moment and this conversation was deserved. I have a few more notes to quickly go through, and then we can kind of get out, move on, talk about SmackDown, the entire storyline with Roman Reigns, and then, of course, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Tristan Atalano at Atalano underscore Tristan. He said, okay, I had to DM you about Biggie winning the title. Watching Raw, his character promos didn't seem like he was on the same league as Lashley. I love Biggie, but I just don't feel like they built the character up enough to make this moment as big as it could slash should have been. I mean, I agree with the second half of that statement that, I wish this was built up more like the way, you know, to give credit to AEW, the way they've built up Hangman Page. When he mm-hmm. eventually wins that title, it's going to be a massive moment. But I don't really know that you can get a pop bigger than Big E got. So how much bigger of a pop are you going to get, right? Like, are people just going to like, like, like throw themselves out of their chairs and rush the ring? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what else can you get besides people going crazy and cheering and screaming? 
So ultimately, maybe, but I think Big E was so beloved and he's been in the company for so long. Maybe they didn't need to build him up that way. But in terms of character and promos, I do disagree with you, Tristan. I mean, Biggie's over. He's a better promo than Lashley. Um, he was he's a he's not a 100% serious guy. He has right. that cheeky kind of side to him. And the fact that WWE allows him to show that in this role, it's really refreshing, to be honest with you. Yeah, like we talked about it, that whole Miz bit where it's like, do we want a 100% serious Big E or do we want him serious in the moment? It's just not who he is. And WWE's letting him be himself in this moment. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. I also wanted to note, uh, there's another good piece of news here. It looks like we're still going to be on for Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg, uh, which we already thought would be a non-title match. Now it's definitely going to be a non-title match. And with Lashley being injured, favoring the knee in kayfabe and coming off losing his title, he can lose to Goldberg if WWE wants overseas blood money in the sand six um, without being hurt as a character by it. So I actually yeah. think this ended up being a good result given we knew that we know what they're going to do over in Saudi Arabia. Yep, I agree. And we also need to shout out Bobby Lashley here. Not only did he have an incredible WWE title run six months, it started pretty inauspiciously before WrestleMania where we thought he was kind of going to be a transitional champion, dropped the title to Drew McIntyre, only to dominate McIntyre, beat him a couple times, knock him out of the title picture, and beat basically everyone that they threw at him, holding the title for half a year. This was a really good title run, one of the three longest in WWE over the last five years. And I don't oh, know wow. that enough appreciation has been given to Bobby Lashley, and honestly, WWE in some respects, for booking him as strong as they did. I did not realize that in terms of length. So good for him. Um, and by the way, the last two WWE championship wins have come on raw. So you, you want to, you want to talk about, Hey, anything can happen on a raw, you know, that counts for something that, that they have now done that twice. Um, so, and, and you, you mentioned the, the black champion thing. They've now had, I think three of the last eight, Champions have been black after the only one prior to that in the history of that belt being The Rock. So that's awesome as well. Lashley's awesome. If you haven't watched Lashley on the Broken Skull Sessions on, on the network, I uh, highly recommend that. Um, Bobby Lashley is awesome. Glad he finally got that moment in that run as champion. And, you know, we'll see where he goes next. But uh, he is definitely made. Um, well, I'll tell you this. Of the last four First time WWE champions, three of them have been black. There you go. Because everyone else, um, Brock Lesnar had won it before, Randy Orton had won it before, The Miz had won it before. So, and, and, and this coming, this again, this is not a reaction to AW. It's just something I'm pointing out. This actually, you know, a black champion beating a defending black champion now in WWE comes at a time when AW is starting to get more criticism for not having any black male wrestlers in its main event scene at all. That's not to compare anything or say anything's a reaction to anything, but just WWE has come such a long way uh, in its diversity, men and women, um, providing opportunities and, and moments for, for everybody, and they should be commended for that. Oh, the, WWE's roster um, is the most diverse it's ever been, and yeah. they absolutely and, deserve and, credit. And, and, and their booking is the most right. diverse it's ever been, too. Mm -hmm. Sorry, do you have something else? Nope, nope it's, it's good. It's good news. It is. Also, I wanted to shout out Byron Saxton because 
he called the post-match like immediately after the one, two, three, the exact same way almost he did Kofi Kingston's title win a few years ago at WrestleMania. And Byron was also the ring announcer when Biggie won the NXT title back in the day. Not on commentary, but he was a ring announcer. That's really cool. Shout out to Byron. He did a great job. And lastly, Justin Downs at Banana Pancakes wrote him Survivor Series this year. Can we get the Bloodline versus the New Day? Talk about world-class matchup, arguably the two best current generation WWE tag teams, along with two of the hottest male talents. Sign me up. Oh man, I got goosebumps to so, think about it. Yeah, I did I too. Even thought about it. <laughs> I did too. So first of all, Roman Reigns versus Biggie, no matter what, needs to happen, right? That has to happen. I don't. I don't think either of them would lose the title. Could there be a way that it ends up being Lesnar and they actually put a regular title match on the show? Maybe. But for me, Reigns Biggie has to happen. I don't know if they'll do Usos and New Day unless New Day wins the tag team titles. There is time for that. Could they beat RK Bro? Might RK Bro lose the titles? And then New Day can win them right before Survivor Series in the transitional situation. I don't know. But yes, if there's one pay-per-view where a six-man tag team match without any titles on the line could main event, and if there's any six men who I'd want to see in that situation, it would be Survivor Series, New Day versus Bloodline. It would be absolutely incredible if they actually do that. I I want that more than just Biggie versus Roman. I, I think you I, I think you can do Biggie versus Roman at any time in their future. But New Day versus Bloodline right now with where the Bloodline is, I think is the biggest money match you can have and I 100% now want that to happen. And by the way, talking about that potential match, don't worry about the shirt. Worry You got to worry about the meat in that match because that would be an absolute banger. Okay, Biggie, the new WWE champion, congratulations to him. In some ways, congratulations to WWE as well. We just mentioned the bloodline. Let's, after an hour here, move into the second part of our main event, uh, the bloodline on SmackDown. They opened the show. Roman Reigns basically assumed control of New York and demanded acknowledgement from the MSG crowd. Brock Lesnar immediately entered, still looking like a mountain man, still looking like a Norse god. The Usos got between them. Paul Heyman tried to talk him down. Lesnar asked Heyman why he didn't tell Reigns he'd be at SummerSlam. Reigns looked really pissed at that revelation, and Heyman looked scared shitless. Fox Fox bleeped a you effed up chant. Uh, The bloodline left. I hated that they bleeped that. It was terrible. Yeah, it Uh, was like 20. It was like 15 seconds of silence. I know it was. It sucked. Uh, The bloodline left. Heyman then cut his old regular Lesnar line. But Lesnar said before Reigns fires Heyman, he wants a universal title shot, which again, you don't need Lesnar involved in title pictures. But okay, Heyman did not accept. So Lesnar F5'd him or tried to F5 him. Reigns saved Heyman with a Superman punch. Lesnar tried an F5 on Reigns, but the Usos saved Reigns and Lesnar took both the Usos out. Heyman later backstage had a really shaky voice saying Reigns will answer Lesnar's challenge after the main event. Biggie stalked Heyman with the briefcase. Reigns later told Heyman he saved him and asked why Heyman didn't tell him about Lesnar, to which Heyman did not answer. All of this was pure hype. I was like, I gotta be honest, six beers deep uh, going into SmackDown. (laughs) And I was so jacked up after the opening segment. Like, 
I was kind of like calm and like just chill. And then all of a sudden I see Reigns and the Usos and Lesnar and Heyman going crazy. I was going wild. Everyone did their job perfectly. Heyman was incredible. Lesnar looked like an absolute beast. Reigns actually had Heyman's back when it counted, only to question him later privately. It was one of the best WWE segments, that opening, in a long time. And it's crazy, Chris, how Reigns versus Lesnar actually somehow feels fresh just because the roles are completely reversed. This was truly outstanding stuff. It's also fresh because Brock has a ponytail and it added a plaid shirt. <laughs> He's just evolving every time we see him It looks him like now. Brock Lesnar ate <laughs> Daniel Bryan and then morphed yeah, into him. Yeah. Yes. So it, but you, and, and the other thing I like about this is that Brock is talking. I, I, I love Heyman and I love Heyman and Brock, but I always just want to hear more from Brock. And we know he's not a great promo, but the guy can talk. And him doing that, saying, hey, why didn't you tell Roman? Like, you don't doesn't have to be a lot, but everything he says, you're on edge for. And it was a great little setup. And then when Roman saves Heyman, I was like, it like warmed my heart a little bit. I was like, wow, he's 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 still going to defend his friend here. Two weeks ago, he said he loved him. Like Roman is good. Roman is giving Heyman every opportunity here to do the right thing, which is something Paul Heyman never deserves. And I know Roman's a heel, but it's such a fascinating dynamic here with them. And Roman has always been, he's never been like the evil heel. He's been the kind of mind games just going to overwhelm you at some point heel. You know, the, the whole Jey Uso head of the table stuff last year. So that was really cool. Awesome opening segment. Crowd was hyped at Madison Square Garden. Um, loved it, loved it, loved it. And I know we're not trying to compare everything to AEW, but it just popped into my head at the moment when Roman says WWE runs New York a couple weeks ahead of... Oh, that was AEW, totally on purpose. Yes. AEW having the Queen show. It just, it, maybe it was on purpose. I, I But that just popped into my head as well. And, and awesome, awesome opening segment it was definitely on purpose but it was it also played great into if wwe runs new york and i run wwe Mm -hmm. that means i run new york and then he's telling the entire the entirety of the most famous arena acknowledge me i mean Mm -hmm. that's roman reigns like that's the guy we've always wanted right and and we got that in moment one on that show by by the way run madison square garden more please they need for to. the love of god yeah i know it's way more expensive it cannot be every couple of years they need to do two to three to four raws or smackdowns maybe a pay-per-view in that arena the the energy carries over as a viewer it's just it's different in the garden than it is at barclays you you gotta have these environments it helps tv and so i think they should do oh that. it's totally different so i don't know have you been to both arenas or no I have been to Madison Square Garden for NCAA tournament basketball. I've never been to Barclays. Okay. So for anyone who hasn't been, Barclays, you have to take the subway or or something else to get to Brooklyn. You got to go over the bridge. You get there. It's cavernous. Um, The entire area around Barclays Center is void of life. It's just a big, bright light and people meandering outside. Madison Square Garden is in the middle of New York City. It's bustling. There's excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a completely different atmosphere outside the arena. And the acoustics within the arena are completely different, to your point. So 
yes, the energy, I yes, if you live in either area, you can go to either show. And if you're a wrestling fan, you probably are going to either show because it's not a huge pain. It's just a little bit of extra time to get from one or the other. Um, but you feel differently walking into a Madison Square Garden show. I was more excited going into Madison Square Garden for the NJPW Ring of Honor card on WrestleMania 35 weekend than I was going into Barclays for, I don't even remember what it was, Raw or SmackDown or one of those other events that week. It And it, it, I was very excited for the event, but it was MSG, wrestling, the Mecca. It's just, it's different. And yes, they need to run MSG for television twice a year and they need to do the house show that they always do around Christmas time. They are doing that this year. So it's good that they're doing that. But they got to run it for TV at least twice a year, totally. And if they make 9-11 weekend, whatever the equivalent is, um, a special show every year, honestly, that would not be the worst thing. I think um, they'd get a lot of good press out of that, though they didn't give themselves a lot of good press coming out of SmackDown. We'll talk about that later. Let's pick up with Roman Reigns and finish this entire thing. So the main event of the show ended up being the Usos defending their tag team championships against the Street Profits. Montez Ford did a ridiculous Tope Cone Hero to take out both Usos. There were two long commercial breaks. Ford hit a crossbody and a blockbuster for a pair of near falls. The Profits then hit an assisted avalanche blockbuster for another near fall. The Usos eventually got up on Angelo Dawkins, double teaming him, hitting a pair of super kicks and an Uso splash. And that looked like the finish, but the dude kicked out, which was a great moment. The crowd went crazy. Ford finally hit his rotating frog splash for again, what definitely would have been a title change in this case, but Reigns broke the fall and choked out Ford insanely aggressively <laughs> in the guillotine. Ford sold like he was a rag doll, like flailing his entire body around. It was one of the best guillotine cells that we've seen in a long time. This was another really exciting match on what was basically a 2.5 match show. I went three and a half stars and a B for it because the commercials took up so much time, but the booking was perfect and got the job done. And with Reigns standing at ringside, the finish was obvious. While I hate rematches, doing it this way does make sense. And I'm definitely going to allow it given the circumstances. Yeah. And it, it's not something we, again, it's not something we typically see from Roman interfering to save the Usos to keep their title. Like, between that and the Heyman thing earlier in the show, like he is having to cover for his friends right now. And he seems kind of cousins, but yes, <laughs> well, I meant cousins and Heyman sure. I meant just all together. And he's not, he typically doesn't have to do that. And, and he's he stays out of the fray a lot and now he's getting more involved. And again, I think this is just really great character work with Roman in the different ways he's handling situations compared to the way he used to before. Maybe the Brock situation hasn't panicked and, and he's feeling like he has to get involved in different stuff more. So, you know, not a clean finish, but in the context of the story that they've been telling with the bloodline for more than a year now, um, it, it really worked and it makes me intrigued for what Roman's going to tell them next week. So again, this has been the best story in wrestling for more than a year and they keep finding little ways to make it intriguing just on the personal dynamics. We, we, we do not get these kinds of personal dynamics in pro wrestling very often to, to, this, to this detail. And it's, it's been completely captivating. So after the match, Reigns grabbed the mic and promised to smack Lesnar as soon as he finished smacking Finn Balor. Smashing, smacking, same thing. 
Suddenly, the arena went black, red lights and smoke filled the ring, and the demon returned with an absolutely sick entrance. Balor looked insane. He immediately ran down to the ring to stare down Roman Reigns and the bloodline as SmackDown went off the air. Now, obviously this moment was hot fire. But as with anything with WWE, I find myself being pessimistically excited, I guess. The demon coming back only for Reigns to beat him would be so unacceptable that it would straight up disgust me. However, SmackDown doesn't book bad, at least not with Reigns. And I don't think Reigns and Paul Heyman would allow them to do that, particularly because it would be so unnecessary to bring the demon back only to have it lose when he could just fight Balor a second time. And that's a pay-per-view match. You don't need the demon for a pay-per-view. As it is, I thought they were going to let this play out a little bit more, giving Balor further reasons to show this side of himself. The key is that Reigns versus Lesnar does not need a title on the line. Now, I don't know what's going to happen here. Reigns losing the title is probably not ideal. The demon coming back out of the blue only to lose to Reigns would be a terrible booking decision. Lesnar is still waiting in the wings and said he wants the title. For now, the intensity of the moment was so great that it overcame any potential future concerns I have. But I do have to be honest and say that I do have those concerns. And I I will tell you this, Chris, I'll end on this. If I was WWE, I would not think twice about changing the title. I would have the demon beat Roman Reigns. Now, I don't exactly know how I would do it. Maybe it's Brock Lesnar's music hitting, Reigns getting distracted. I don't know. There's so many ways that you can figure it out, but you saw the reaction to Biggie winning the championship on Raw. SmackDown does not need that same boost necessarily. But if you were going to do it, you should definitely be doing it with Finn Balor and the Demon in this particular point. Because Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar as a feud can completely exist without the championship. And if you allow that to last for three or four months and you give Finn Balor a four-month reign, let's say, with the title, and you have Reigns win it back around the Royal Rumble, perhaps. Maybe they have a rematch at that show. He can win the title back. It doesn't hurt Balor. Reigns now has two reigns instead of one. Sure, his you know, lengthy reign. I think it's over a year at this point. That would end. But who really cares about that? So I'm curious what you think about all those points I just laid out. And I'm curious if you agree with me that it would be in WWE's best interest to change the title and get the same type of newsworthy pop and excitement for SmackDown that Raw just got bolstered by Big E. Let me ask you this. Demon Finn Balor is champion. How, how how would he lose the belt? Well, would he, the, so the, the demon would have to lose, right? Did you watch um, NXT when he was there and the demon and all that? Um, a bit. So the demon is a character that comes out. It is not used all the time. So right. he would be Finn Balor as champion. But he's also, but he's also almost, almost every big match. He's the demon. He's it, only the demon. He's only the demon when he deems it necessary, given the situation. Uh, right. So, so Balor, would, would he, Balor, but then that takes you to the idea of, well, then he could lose it as not 
as not the demon, but then he's just clearly it doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal to him. So then why would he not? So I, he has lost as the, he's not undefeated as the demon. He lost to Samoa Joe as the demon in, in NXT. So the demon's not undefeated. Um, that's but, right. I forgot about but, that. But, you know, to bring him back only to have that character lose right away to right. me doesn't it's, make sense. The whole demon thing is just a difficult situation because once it's out there, you can't have him. Can, can you have him lose as the demon or so rarely or how do you do it? And I think if, I think it's a situation where you can it just take something really unique and right. special. And that's why. Yeah, yeah, you're right. To, to my booking four months, maybe that's not long enough. Right. Maybe. And maybe that's I, why I, they I don't, don't know. Maybe that's why they don't change it. But let's not let's not forget. Right now on SmackDown, and and certainly after the draft, there's going to be some real strong people on that brand. I mean, you already have Rollins there, of course, and Edge is there. I, I think yeah, Edge we'll is going to get. We'll I think see. Edge will get moved over to Raw probably. But um, you know, there's a potential for AJ Styles to get moved over there. Styles versus Balor. Yeah, we, we don't. Drew McIntyre. My, my, my larger point is, if you have Finn Balor and Biggie as your champions, what what better way to present your to announce your future essentially i know finn balor is like 40 but he's essentially like new faces new champions a new direction fresh it's fresh exactly yes on the other hand roman reigns is the greatest thing in wrestling right now he should have been pwi's number one over kenny omega i was gonna bring that that to the death yep but i like i just i also don't want it to end it's such a tough spot maybe roman not as a champion will work uh, I mean, may- maybe you can do that. Maybe Brock interferes. The demon wins. You can set that up. You can do something. I I trust what they're doing with Roman. I trust Roman to make it good. Um, but and, and it's been a year. Maybe it is time for a new direction. But I also want to see this Roman Reigns as champion walk into WrestleMania at some point, especially since I might be there because it's in Dallas. So, But he still I, could. I, I, I mean, WrestleMania is a long ways off still. Let's not forget. It, it is. But if Finn Balor is, by the way, we call it Extreme Rules. The logo's got a W. It looks like U-Treme Rules. I hate <laughs> that logo. Um, do you do you, do you take the, is that moment to take it off of Roman? Is it Extreme Rules? I mean, they took it off last year on a Raw. So maybe, maybe it goes back to what I said. We're just any night, anything can happen. And maybe overall, that's a good thing. And that's how wrestling used to be. That's how WWE, you, yep. you never knew when the title could, could yep. you know, get dropped. I, I, I was a big fan of the late 90s when, over the span of four months, three different guys might hold the title. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was a little bit too hot shot for me. It but, was probably but, too much. But, but to your but point, it, it could happen at any. You just didn't know. Yep. yep. And and you you know now we see WWE Championship matches booked for the main event of Raw, and you're like, oh, okay. So I wonder how Lashley's going to retain, right? Like, is it going to be DQ? Or are they going to just do the match again at the pay per view? You know, in a situation where you have Roman Reigns against the Demon and. And you're bringing the demon back in the main event at Madison Square Garden on a show that already had Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar on it. That to me is saying this is an important thing to us, that we're we're putting stock behind this. And I don't think you do that just to have Reigns beat him clean at Extreme Rules. Yep. So I don't know. We're going to have to see how it plays out. But again, we do not give, and I think a lot of people do not give WWE the benefit of the doubt for a lot of things. However. With Roman Reigns and all of his storylines since his return, WWE has legitimately earned benefit of the doubt for him, yes. Heyman, and all those people. And because of that, I that the pessimistic side is much less 
It's like 15% as opposed to on Raw, it would be like 65%. You know what I mean? Also, I I like that they're running two concurrent challengers. They they, they did this at Raw a couple months back. They did it with Kofi and um, uh, in McIntyre. Kofi was waiting in the wings as Lashley fought McIntyre. It kind of sets up the next thing. It makes everything flow so much better. It's really well done. And that's why it's interesting here. Brock's looking over both his shoulders right now. I'm saying Roman is looking over both his shoulders. And it's compelling television. It is. And don't forget, they also did it Monday to a lesser degree. Lashley had Orton yeah. on one side and Biggie on the other side. And he's like, I'm yep. screwed, right? And that's kind of, and he lost the title, you know? Uh, and that's kind of what uh, Roman Reigns is facing right now. I'm just very curious about the entire thing. You know, I could see a scenario just like with Lashley where Balor beats him and then Lesnar beats him at Blood Money in the Sand and then Reigns wins the title back or maybe Lesnar beats the Demon in at the Royal Rumble or whatever and Reigns is competing for it again at WrestleMania or he's defending it again at WrestleMania and we get a rematch of Lashley and Big E and we get a rematch of Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Like these things are all possible. Um, we're going to see what fi- what happens. We're, we're going to find out coming up really soon. We have a lot more show left and we're going to try to fit it in in as short a window as we possibly can. Luckily, we have a segment that allows us to do it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I got to say, spoiler alert, there are many weeks where the bads and uglies far outweigh the goods here. That is not the case this week. This is a very good, heavy segment, at least as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. We'll see, Chris, what your opinions are. Um, let's start with the women. Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair had a contract signing on SmackDown. Belair signed the contract and cut a promo before Lynch even came out, saying she lost some of her respect for her and she was going to lose the title, her being Lynch, at Extreme Rules. Becky came out in this red fur. It was huge. Dropped some great cocky heel lines. Belair got the crowd fully behind her. Lynch said that she heard all the chants for her at home. She saved WWE at SummerSlam and is now being treated badly by fans who finally, I think for the first time, really booed her. She got pissed, signed the contract, and the segment just kind of trailed off at the end. This didn't end strong, but I did think it was a very good segment, and we finally got some heat on Lynch for the first time. I thought Sasha Banks was going to come out, I gotta be honest, to get a huge pop to make it a triple threat match. That never happened. Still, it got the job done. It finally cemented Becky on the heel side. So because of that, I thought it was successful and I thought it was good. They they did. I mean, you know, we criticized the SummerSlam decision. I think we still do. Absolutely. But wh- whether or not Becky can work as a heel, this worked. This, this, she was a heel in this. However, this is also a New York crowd. If you're somewhere else, you know, where WWE only comes through, they're, they're in Knoxville this week. Is a Knoxville crowd going to boo Becky Lynch? I, I I don't know. So we'll have to see. But this was really good. Really good segment. Well, the Knoxville crowd should be used to booing considering it's Tennessee Volunteers country. But that's besides the point. Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte Flair fought Shayna Baszler in a championship contenders match. Uh, Flair said backstage she'll teach Baszler that Nia Jax is dead weight who's been holding her down. Earlier, Baszler and Jax argued backstage with Baszler walking away. The match was even for a while. Baszler got a lot of offense. She had a German suplex and escaped Flair's exploder. Charlotte drove her into the middle turnbuckle and kind of hit her signature moonsault outside when Jax came down, distracting Flair so Baszler could throw the champion into the steps. Charlotte took out Baszler's knee and taunted Nia, 
And then Jax jumped on the ropes, just like Baszler did last week, giving Flair an opening. Flair booted Baszler in the face and got the win. Now, the booking of Baszler and Jax screwing each other, it works. I was just not a fan of the big boot pinning Baszler. Like, this is a woman who's been rolled up and defeated so many times, at least have her take natural selection or a figure eight. I know that would be Baszler tapping, but all of that is better than just getting kicked in the face and getting pinned one, two, three. Other than that, this was a decent match. It was given plenty of time and it finally led to the breakup of Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. They're going one-on-one next week. All of that is good. Yeah, and just seeing Charlotte and Shayna Baszler was cool. Like, you know, we've all been down on Shayna being rolled up so much and not giving much, but just seeing the two of them together was pretty cool. It was, it was a new matchup, so I like that. It was it was good. It, it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't much, but I'm going to give it a good. So then after that, Alexa Bliss entered with Lily and a gift all wrapped up for Charlotte. Flair refused it, and then they argued. Fans chanted yes, so she took the gift. And it ended up being her own version of Lily called Charlie with blonde hair, a robe, and a Raw Women's Championship mini belt around her waist. The crowd went crazy. They loved it. They started chanting Charlie. Bliss called Flair some names. Flair then threw Charlie at Bliss. They brawled for a little bit. Alexa hit a freaking Canadian Destroyer on Charlotte. By the way, the Canadian Destroyer is all the opponent doing the work. So Charlotte really did it. But still, they did it with Bliss. And then later backstage, Charlotte found Charlie just like sitting somewhere and threw it in the trash. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm beaten down here. The last two weeks of Alexa Bliss and the interactions with Charlotte, they've been good to me. Maybe it's because they've cut down on the theatrics and the horror aspect, and they're just showing two really different personalities juxtaposed against one another. The crowds behind it, maybe the crowds getting me into it. I don't know. I thought it was good. Yeah, um, the crowd is a big part of it. And the Boston and New York crowds, we're into basically everything, which is certainly going to shape our perception. But that's good. If the crowd makes us like the show more, that's good. That's not a bad thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe Charlie keeps popping up or something like that. And Charlie doesn't know what to do with it next. Um, still think this is kind of a weird connection between the two, just kind of a weird feud for them. But um yeah, again, it wasn't bad. I, I mean, I'll give it a good. All right, we'll go back over to SmackDown. Edge versus Seth Rollins, the co-main event, if you will. About 10 minutes into the match, uh, Rollins rushed and botched a glam slam. Then they did it perfectly for a 2.5 count. Edge escaped the pedigree, then hit Rollins with a pedigree for a 2.5 count. A uh, shout out to Triple H, by the way. Hope he is doing better. Yes. Uh, Edge reversed a crossface, but Rollins reached the ropes. Then Edge hit the edge execution but Rollins countered a spear into a swinging neckbreaker. Edge countered a stomp into a sit-down powerbomb for a really good 2.9 count. And then Rollins picked him off the top rope for a buckle bomb. Edge then countered a stomp by standing up and hitting a spear, draping over Rollins for a near fall that sent the crowd into an absolute frenzy. They thought that was the end of the match. The referee ended up getting trapped in the corner. So ref, uh, Rollins hit a low blow. The referee was blinded to it, couldn't see. Then he took out Edge's knee, super kicked him three times, twice with Edge staring at him as Rollins screamed, why won't you die? Then he hit a stomp and slowly covered him for the one, two, three. Rollins looked concerned as a stretcher came out to handle Edge. 
and he later got wheeled into an ambulance with about a dozen people surrounding him. Rollins later said he didn't know how he was supposed to feel, and maybe he doesn't feel anything at all, which I thought was great character work for him. This match got 25 minutes, and though a lot of the first half of it was during commercial, we saw an absolute banger. It sets up a clear rubber match, given the low blow, but we still got to see a real finish, despite the cheating. I don't know how it compares to the SummerSlam one. I would need to watch it again. I saw a lot of people say it was better than that match. I think it was at least the same. I don't remember what I rated that match, uh, but 4.25 stars, 4.5 stars. It's an A, no matter which star rating you want to give it. It's the type of thing we should get once a week, either per each WWE TV show, or at least once a week in totality on the five hours of WWE TV, a match of this caliber, given the five hours that WWE has on its hands. The character development of Rollins was such a nice touch to wrap it up. That was really good. And I don't know how this ends legitimately. I don't know if it leads to a match at Extreme Rules, if this is them writing Edge off of TV so we can get drafted over to Raw and Rollins wins the storyline, but Edge got the WrestleMania, sorry, SummerSlam moment. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't really have the right answer to it, but it was really, really freaking good. Yeah, so good. You know, when when this first, when I saw it was happening, I was kind of annoyed because it was like, the week prior, they both did great promos about moving on from the feud. Like, among the best I've ever, like, Seth's promo yeah. uh, was among the best I've ever heard for someone on the losing end of a feud to, like, move on. <laughs> so, in, instead we get the match, like, alright. But the match was lights out. Love the finish. That's the kind of finish where the crowd starts to get a little bit uncomfortable because of how many headshots he's taken and stuff like that. Just really well done story. And then the ambulance thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. That whole thing felt like a callback to the beginning of the Monday Night Messiah story when he sent, I think it was Rey Mysterio, in an ambulance. And hmm. he was interviewed outside the ambulance. And he was like, I don't really know what happened. I don't know why I did that. And that was like, the same that was the same day i think becky relinquished the title uh, so we didn't know if that was connected or not but that whole thing seemed like the exact callback to what he did a year and a half ago uh when he freaked out and sent someone to the hospital and didn't was just kind of in a daze afterward so if that's supposed to be connected it's interesting but overall really really good that is really interesting i also i don't know what wwe is going to do with them because i was pretty sure that Rollins and Becky were going to go over to Raw in this upcoming draft, which we should note just since we haven't, uh, it's going to be October 1st and 4th, starting on SmackDown and then going over to Raw. Very excited about the draft. We will do a mock draft special here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast as we did last year. Um, I was really sure that when Becky came back, she was going to debut on Raw and that Rollins was going to get drafted over there. They just needed to split everything up and, and kind of change things on SmackDown because SmackDown was so overloaded. But now with Becky being back and being on SmackDown, I don't know that they're going to do that. They're certainly not going to split them up as a married couple with a kid. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit confused in terms of what the future holds. I do think though that Edge needs to be on Raw. They need that star power over there. He's really done everything he can do on SmackDown already. They have Lesnar back. They don't need Edge. Um, but I thought this was just outstanding, honestly. From the match standpoint, from a character work standpoint, they just really made this work. So let's move back to Raw. Now there was a United States Championship match that was supposed to be an open challenge between Damian Priest and Jeff Hardy. 
Sheamus was on commentary. Uh, Priest propelled himself off the ropes with a step-up sent on to Hardy. Outside the ring, it was a really cool spot. Priest rang Hardy's bell, but Hardy countered with a backdrop uh, into a falling crossbody from the ropes. Hardy did a simple splash instead of a leg drop from the second rope, which seemed obvious, almost like he was dealing with hip pain or something like that. He looked really slow the entire match. Priest did a roundhouse kick, booted Hardy off the ropes, and did a step-up body scissors inside using the ropes. Hardy got a 2.8 count, uh, but Priest immediately caught him with the reckoning for the win. Sheamus attacked Priest and Brogue kicked Hardy, but Priest countered one Brogue kick with another onto Sheamus to end the segment on top. Now, this was billed, like I said, as an open challenge, but it wasn't open because Hardy announced his candidacy on social media before Raw even began. So it made no sense to call it an open challenge. It also really didn't make a lot of sense to have this match when Priest already had Sheamus as a challenger at Extreme Rules. Also, this was clearly a make good for putting Hardy in that 24-7 segment last week, which was so insulting to us as fans and to him as a performer. Those are all failures. However, it was a quality match with a clean finish. The attack was saved until after the fall instead of a disqualification. All wins. Hardy did look old but he also looked good in the match. He got a lot of mojo back from it and he put Damian Priest over. So it's really conflicting things here for me. It's it's the background of it versus what we actually saw. In this segment, we grade what we actually saw and what I saw, I thought was good. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it a good as well. Priest getting wins over notable opponents is what he needs right now, not just John Morrison over and over and over. So that's a positive. And it's a positive that Jeff Hardy goes from being in the 24-7 situation to fighting for the U.S. championship, which is much better. So I give it a good. Absolutely. Uh, let's go back to the women over on Raw. We had Nikki Ash versus Tamina and Rhea Ripley versus Natalia in consecutive matches. I, I should note there were four women's matches on Raw, and basically all of them got a lot of time, which was really refreshing. One of the reasons I like the show so much. Now, Nikki Ash wanted them, her and Ripley, to come up with a new catchphrase when Ripley basically said they need to concentrate on tagging together and winning the tag team titles. The champion shoved them backstage and Sonya Deville stepped in. Given all four women were going to wrestle, doing Ripley Natalia as a rematch from last week was just totally unnecessary when you already have different opponents that they can have. Anyway, Tamina dominated Nikki, uh, but Nikki hit a tornado DDT and got a three count as Tamina kicked out. So either Tamina or the referee, and I lean towards Tamina, botched this because Tamina was announced as the winner and her music hit, but Nikki actually won the match. So that was terrible. Uh, They brutalized Nikki outside the ring after the match. Natalia dodged as Ripley hit a running dropkick on Tamina outside after the second match began. Natalia got Ripley with a discus clothesline and a vertical suplex. Ripley hit her Northern Light suplex for a near fall and a prism trap for a near submission. Tamina distracted Ripley during a riptide. Nikki came back from backstage. She was Uh, brought back as injured after the first match, but she came running down basically to save Ripley from distraction. Nikki pushed Natalia's feet off the ropes while she was trying to cheat, and Ripley won with a prism trap submission. And I think that's the first time Ripley's won a match on the main roster with a submission with this move, which is good that they're establishing it. Uh, I was ready to give this a bad, straight up, after Nikki and Tamina. And I guess, you know what, that still deserves a bad on its own. But Ripley Natalia was extremely well wrestled. It was an entertaining match, and they worked very well together. 
as I said, both of these matches got plenty of time. So I'm going to split it, not trying to hedge. First half, bad. Second half, good. Yeah, I'm doing the same. But I think overall it's a bad because to have these four take up something like a half hour plus in the middle of the show really kind of dragged it a bit. Um, so I, the Ripley and Natalia was good. I, th- that's a good, the others are bad, but overall, I think you kind of combine this into one big thing. To me, that's a bad. I was happy that Natalia and Tamina won the titles. I was happy that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler lost the titles. I also like that they are involved on a storyline on both brands, but the booking of it is terrible. The fact that nothing's happened, nothing's happened. Well, the fact that Shotzi, Shotzi and Knox over on SmackDown have beaten them three times in non-title matches and still don't have a title yeah. match. Then they yeah. create new number one contenders on Raw. Now, if they do a triple threat at Extreme Rules and one of the other teams win, it's all going to work out. I'll be okay with it. But right now, it's just a mess. And the women, I mean, we're going to talk about SmackDown in a little bit. The women didn't even have a match on SmackDown this week. We'll talk about why and the circumstances involving that. I'm okay if it happens occasionally because storyline dictates. But man, like the we remember there was a long time we were talking about the Raw women's division being the pits. It switched over. The SmackDown women's division outside of the main event is the pits right now. It really mm-hmm. is. All right, we'll move yep. on. Uh, on SmackDown, we had Biggie, Shinsuke Nakamura, Rick Boogs, and the Mysterios. Fight Sami Zayn, Apollo Crews, Otis, and the Dirty Dogs in a one, two, three, in a 10-man tag team match. Sorry, I had to do some counting there. So let me preface this, okay? I am a real New York Knicks fan, okay? Uh, real. And a, a real one, like hardcore my entire life. Before the match, Sami Zayn comes out wearing a Knicks jersey, which is amazing. But he wears a Kevin Knox jersey which is even more amazing trolling the crowd on a first round draft pick that's basically been a bust. And then he introduces someone who has had success at Madison Square Garden and brings out Hawks star Trey Young, who got massive heat from the MSG crowd because he killed us in the playoffs this year. It was brilliant. I was so sports entertained and the crowd was going wild. The match was basically nothing, but Trey Young gets involved. He chokes out Rey Mysterio using like the middle rope, I think, and then gets ejected by the referee, which is incredible. (laughs) It's so smart. The Mysterios then hit Zayn with a double 619 and Biggie hits the big ending for the win. And Biggie got to cut a really quick baby face promo warning both champions. And that's when he said, hey, I'm going to be on Raw Monday night. There was nothing to the match. It didn't matter because the crowd was nuclear hot for this booking. We only use good, bad, and ugly in this segment. This was beyond good. It was so great and so smart and so WWE that it was truly incredible. This was one of my favorite moments on a loaded show. I loved the match with Edge and Rollins. I loved everything with Roman Reigns, the bloodline, and Brock Lesnar and the demon. This was awesome. And maybe it's because I'm a Knicks fan, but I loved this so much. No, it it was absolutely awesome. It it added again to SmackDown felt like a party. Like that's what Attitude Era Raw used to feel like, which was like wrestling shows here. Crazy stuff's going to happen. Everybody's fired up because you know what's going to happen. That's what SmackDown felt like all night. And that's again why I think they should do Madison Score Garden more often. To get Trey Young 
is really notable. If you're if you don't follow the NBA, he's one of the best players in the league. And there, was, there wasn't an announcement, hey, Trey Young's going to be on Raw. Right. We're going to do surprise. something. Yes. It was just a surprise. Yes. And I loved that. And we want to talk about WWE versus AEW. The real wrestling war is happening in the NBA. <laughs> You've got Shaq wrestling in an AEW match. You've got Bobby Portis getting a belt uh, showing up at the WWE house show. Giannis showing up ringside for Dynamite. Now Trey Young showing up on SmackDown. <laughs> like They're just drafting their own NBA teams here in this wrestling war. And... Yeah, it was tremendous, tremendous. There's, again, not a ton of happens, not much to say, but just the idea of getting Trey Young to just randomly show up at the show is a big freaking deal. And that's how you make waves in the culture by doing stuff like that. Absolutely. And to give a little bit of context, so Trey Young seems to have some deal with WWE. He's the one who announced the uh, day one pay-per-view that's happening on January 1st mm. in Atlanta. Uh, obviously, because it's in Atlanta, he gave the video the night that they were at that rap show, which I've already forgot the name of because it wasn't really that good. The one that was in Miami that they did the split show on SmackDown like a couple months ago. Um, and I presume he's going to be in their plans for that show in Atlanta, either to be there, a special guest referee, who the hell knows. But it seems like they have some promotional deal with him. But how smart of a promotional deal, right? To not just have him for an Atlanta pay-per-view on January 1st, but to have him at Madison Square Garden in this moment it is such good trolling. And man, like WWE, when they bring celebrities in, you saw it with Logan Paul. They tried to use him as a face. They realized eventually, finally, that this guy's not a face. We got to use him as a heel. Um, but this is what you do. Not everyone has to be a good guy. Trey Young's not a good guy, right? In terms of for the New York fans, at least, and for me personally, mm -hmm. I think he sucks because I'm a Knicks fan. Uh, he's obviously great. But um, so this was awesome. I loved every bit of it. Really, really smart and good job by WWE. So we'll wrap up SmackDown here by talking about what was not on the show because we just went through everything that happened on SmackDown and praised all of it. All of it got good. We loved it. It was an incredible, truly incredible two-hour SmackDown. I think it was the best two hours of wrestling television start to finish that I can remember since the start of the pandemic and probably a ways before it too. It just, everything hit, everything was really good. But there was no women's match on the show. And the reason there was no women's match is because there was a scheduled tag team match, Zelina Vega and Carmella against Liv Morgan and Tony Storm. Now this match was not announced in terms of publicly to promote the show. So they didn't cancel something that was publicly announced. But Zelina Vega spent the entire week in New York, promoting the show and serving as an ambassador, a face of WWE, whatever, because in reality, her father died in 9-11. I believe in the World Trade Center, he was a fireman. She honored him all week. She was clearly excited about wrestling in Madison Square Garden, in this arena, in this town, on this night. And they canceled the match for time. Now, you're going to say, well, what would you have cut to ensure that this match happened? I don't know. Honestly, maybe you cut down Roman Reigns' entrance at the start of the show, though at that point, you probably didn't know you were going to be short on time. The Edge-Seth Rollins match, could you have trimmed it down five minutes? Maybe, but my guess is that's the match that went long on time and you didn't realize that was going to happen. 
Maybe you could have taken a minute or two off of the Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair segment. Maybe you could have taken a minute or two off of the main event. But even if you piece all that together, you're talking about four minutes, five minutes. Like it's not really a lot of time. And to not make sure that this match happened on TV was just terrible as far as I'm concerned. The even worse part is you cut the match from TV. Okay, shit happens. Have the match as a dark match. Allow this woman to get her moment. Even if you're not going to do the entire tag team match, have Zelina go out there and work one-on-one with Liv Morgan as a dark match in front of the crowd. Allow her to go out and cut a promo about what New York means to her. There are so many different things that WWE could have done to ensure that she got a moment in front of that crowd and they just didn't do it. That to me is really disappointing across the board and it's an automatic ugly. Yeah, to to not have the dark match is absolutely inexcusable and whoever didn't realize the situation, whoever missed it and didn't make the call, whether it was Vince or whether it was somebody else, should absolutely be ashamed for, for, for that. How, how do you not know about this or, or, or not figure out some way to do something about it? Because even if it was a dark match, everybody in that crowd would have understood. They know. Thea Trinidad, you know, she's very New York. Everybody who knows her, the fans who are at a show like that are going to know what the deal is. And to not give her that moment was inexcusable and she spoke the next day at the 9-11 memorial uh, about her father so um, just really really disappointing and and shameful for something that just a mistake that did not need to happen it it would have been so easy to do something with her it completely avoidable it was completely avoidable yep Yep. and it's a real shame and and um, the whole anniversary obviously we all hope she is uh, doing okay because it was very emotional watching her um, uh, speak about her father the next day. Absolutely, it was. Uh, so we'll wrap up with the rest of Raw. A couple things here. Uh, we had Mansoor, Mustafa Ali, and New Day against AJ Styles, Omas, T-Bar, and Mace in a, I think it's eight-man tag team match. There was a 10, eight, and six-man tag team match across SmackDown, Raw. And for some reason, I didn't care like, I didn't care. Like, I was happy about all of them. Uh, a lot of people got on TV. The matches were mostly good. So I thought it was interesting. T-Bar sent Ali to absolute hell with a boot. He took out the other three guys along with Mace. Kofi took Styles out with a frog splash to his back. Mansoor and Ali laid out Mace and T-Bar with Tope Suicidas. The match totally devolved into chaos with no tagging, basically like an AEW tag team match. Ali tagged himself in. And as soon as he tagged himself in, I knew he was taking the fall. He hit Styles with the Tornado DDT only to square off with Omas. All four faces tried to stop Omas simultaneously. He just destroyed all of them and then hit Ali with a double choke bomb and a one-handed cover for the win. So I didn't love the way that Omas just killed all the faces, including a former WWE champion and a, you know, however many time tag team champions in the New Day. But if we're being honest, he's legitimately massive. And he was bigger than all those guys, it seemed, combined. Uh, he gets better every single week. The fans love him. The fans love the match. The match got a ton of time, as everything did on Raw. And I actually was very entertained by it. So I went with good. Yeah, I'll I, I give it a good. It wasn't bad. Omas continues to be awesome, man. He just 
he has the intangibles down. Obviously, the wrestling needs to be worked on, but you don't see a guy like him move like he does. And every time I see him, every time the crowd sees him, they are excited. And and I wasn't on last week's show to talk about the Lashley stuff, but like that's a moment. Oh, right how there. incredible was that? I know this get this guy can make moments, and I'm excited for his future. Man, seeing him in Lashley last week it was like like you saw like it doesn't happen much in wrestling any company these days where two dudes standing next to each other will get fans to stand up. Yeah. We're just not speaking, not, not a special entrance, not a debut like Brian Danielson, just one dude and another dude who have been on the same brand for, you know, a year or longer, literally just getting in the ring together. And you hear like that, the percolation, right? Of the crowd. Oh my God, like the buzz and people start standing up and they're wondering what's going to happen. That happened with Lashley and Omos two weeks ago. And that was incredible. But this match, on Monday, I did think was good. Let's move to the six-man tag team match. Drew McIntyre and the Viking Raiders against Jinder Mahal, Shanky, and Veer. McIntyre hit Shanky with a Mishinoku driver and a Claymore and got the win. Uh, this was unoffensive. McIntyre gave the Raiders some good rub. Hey, now. Uh, and I actually like them as a trio. I think they really work well together. They can all play off each other. As I said, it was unoffensive. That's not really good or bad. I guess because there was really no storyline value I'll say bad, but it wasn't bad where I was like upset by it in any way. It was just uneventful and didn't really need to happen necessarily. Yeah, not not much to it. It wasn't bad. I guess it's a good, but um, I think you may have said this on last week's episode. Veer looks really good. Veer, Veer has the most potential of any of those three. Yeah, yeah, like just in the ring. He just, he looks impressive and he can do some things and you know, seeing Drew Drew McIntyre deliver a Minchinoka driver to a big dude. To Shanky, <laughs> uh, I think it was, right? Like it was yeah, crazy. yeah. So um no no uh, love seeing that. Some more big meaty men stuff. So yeah, it was good. We had a uh, Drop against Eva Marie finally of the actual match happened. Dewdrop missed a running sent on but squashed Eva in the corner. Eva raked her eyes and tried to roll Dewdrop up, but couldn't even move her. Like she literally grabbed her leg and <laughs> Dewdrop didn't budge. Uh, Dewdrop hit a senton and a diving crossbody for a win in under two minutes. And then she got some cheers. There were four women's matches on Raw. This was the only one that was short. There were no roll-ups. There were multiple matches across SmackDown and Raw. Zero roll-ups. This was the only short match, male or female, on either show. That is all good. This one was appropriately short. This should have been a squash. Like with the six-man tag team match, there was nothing offensive here, but it does presumably end this storyline with Dewdrop and Eva Marie, and Dewdrop looked solid and got cheers. So unlike the six-man where I kind of leaned a little bit more towards bad, just because it felt like you had stars where nothing was really happening, for Dewdrop, this was a step in the right direction. I'll say good. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I'm kind of between good and bad, and good to see Dewdrop, you know, get some shine, and I'm excited to see what she does next. I this has to be the end of the feud. I just don't know what happens to Eva next. I think it's Dewdrop who's got a pretty bright future on on Raw. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I really have no idea what the purpose of Eva Marie is. I mean, maybe she could be like Nia Jax's manager or something. Yeah, I'm not I, sure. I don't know. I don't know what you do with her now. It, it this whole thing's been a mess. The name Dewdrop still sucks. The fact that she's embracing yep. it. Congrats to her, Piper Nevin. And by the way, she got married, I think, over the weekend. Congrats to her for getting oh, married. Congrats. Um, but yeah, it's not really good. Uh, okay, Karrion Cross cut a promo in the smoky backstage area. 
about destroying people, perhaps not even knowing his own master plan. He said he won't get lost in the shuffle and will pulverize everyone in his path until they learn to fall and pray. This was not terrible. And the two times that we've seen Cross in a suit backstage, the prior time being with John Morrison, he looked normal. But last time they did this, they followed it up immediately with the stupid gladiator shit last week. Right. The X gimmick on the chest and the, the helmet that looks stupid. So I would love to think that this promo is a change of direction for Karrion Cross, And they're going to go away from that and make him be what he looks like, which is a hitman. Not Brett yes. hitman, but a real hitman. Like a person who kills people for money, right? Um, if they do that and they go in that direction and they allow him to be that character, he can wear black pants to the ring. He can even have a little bit of a big boss man, like when he returned in the Attitude Era type of aesthetic. I could actually get behind that with Karrion Cross, especially if Scarlet comes in and joins him. But I don't have the hope and I don't have the trust because this is raw that they're going to do it because they seemed to do it last week and he still came out with the gladiator shit. So even though this was a step in the right direction for his character, I'm still going to say bad on this because it wasn't particularly, uh, it wasn't a change in direction yet, at least as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's tough. I I mean, in itself, I thought it was good. I liked it. If it's a change of direction, that will be good. This is what we want out of Karrion Cross. Get him in a suit, get Scarlet in either something fancy for the entrance, but otherwise put her in a power suit or something as well. Like, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Scarlet, but this wasn't bad with Karen Cross. This is what we want. So I'm going to give it a good for this week and TBD on what's next. It was more of what we want. Not, yeah. We'll see if it's what we actually want. And by the way, uh, Elias and his vignettes, no more for the last two weeks. Those disappeared. No idea what's happening mm-hmm. to him. Maybe they're going to save him and redebut him on SmackDown after the draft. I don't know. And then last and definitely least, uh, Reggie in the 24-7 title was back in the arena, finally, with a ton of people chasing him around. Uh, he avoided all of them, slipped out of a jacket, ran underneath a production truck. It was cool. This is the type of stuff where, you know, Reggie showing off in this way is a little bit more exciting and impressive than him just, you know, jumping on a tree in a park or something like that. But after after he got away, Drake Maverick appeared in a suit as some type of like mastermind of the 24-7 <laughs> division who came up with a plan that the rest of the guys, R-Truth and Akira Tozawa in particular, failed to execute. I did get a chuckle out of this. I'm actually going to, I don't think we've ever done this before. I'm going to say no grade because it was really a bunch of nothing in the end. But I, I like smirked and I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's cool that Drake's there and you know, this is nice, but there's a lot of people right now whose only job is the 24-7 title picture, yet it gets 30 seconds to a minute of television each week. Yeah. So I, I don't really know the purpose of this thing anymore. When they, when it was a celebrity title uh, for that period of time, I think it had some value as a promotional tool for mm-hmm. WWE. Mm-hmm. But now that it's back to this, it's just a waste of time. Yeah, overall, it's a, it's a bad gimmick. This segment, actually, it was fine. It was good, but yeah, it's... I don't know if they're just using the 24-7 to make TikTok videos or what, but like, again, this should just, this should be something that changes hands multiple times every show. Inanimate objects can win it. Like that, that all metal weight championship that 
half the internet wrestling media. I think it might point. be like, a, the promotion DDT in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. It's DDT in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like I think that's a book fun. Was champion yeah. at one point. Yeah, like that's yeah. like a cat won it. Like that's fun. Like that's what they should be doing with it. And we say it all the time. I just I don't. They're so limited in their scope on this. Um, so it ends up being nothing. So and actually, before we get out, real quick, uh, Biggie tweeted um earlier this morning actually uh Stu grayson of the dark order tweeted i could only imagine how happy john would be congrats biggie and biggie replied i couldn't stop thinking about seeing and hugging him after the match what a tremendous man our friend was so biggie still thinking about Brody lee and everything and uh very cool to see that i'm sure i'm sure Brody would have been happy for him yeah the outpouring of affection across wrestling for biggie um really great to see uh, i think cash wheeler said something um you know that's where the brand loyalty is like, you don't have to live in this world. You know what I mean? Like, like everyone can be friends. Everyone can like and watch each other's products. There were some AEW people who tweeted immediately. You could tell they were watching last night. A lot of others who tweeted this morning, uh, WWE people across both brands, retired people. Um, it, it's just been great to see how much affection um, that Biggie's gotten. And it really made Monday night and that moment exceptionally special. I'm excited for them to follow up with it this coming Monday. I'm excited to see New Day uh, reunited together on Raw. I have no idea what they're going to do from a storytelling perspective. They do have about two weeks to quote unquote waste um, a pay-per-view. I assume there's not going to be a title match on the pay-per-view or if there is, it's going to be a rematch between Biggie and Bobby Lashley, which you have to assume Biggie's going to win. Uh, but after that, there's the draft. The draft is, as I said, October 1st and October 4th. That brings excitement to the product. We always love that. I believe the season premiere of SmackDown is going to be uh, October 8th, if my math is correct. That's going to be really exciting. Uh, so WWE is entering this time period right now, and they do it every football season, quote unquote, because it's the start of their, the new year of their contracts with Fox and USA Network, where they really do try to put their best foot forward. And what that has come to mean has been some really banger editions of Survivor Series two months later in November uh, that hopefully can carry forward through the end of the year. So, so I will say that I've always been bullish or consistently been bullish about SmackDown and its potential. Uh, the it had its highest rating since January uh, this past Friday and one of its highest ratings of all time. Uh, Raw, the numbers aren't out yet as we tape the show. It should do a huge number. I mean, I think it's going to be down because of Monday Night Football, certainly. But it should be a respectable number, I think, given what they put on the show. Um, but the programming, the three hours of TV, I mean, you watched it, Chris. I thought it was the best Raw we've gotten in a long time, top to bottom, for a three-hour show. Yep. It, it was great. SmackDown, great Raw. They're just, if you just do stuff on the shows, like we'll get over the booking whether or not it matters if you just give us stuff that's happening and it feels exciting. And it, these last two episodes felt exciting. I am hope next episode SmackDown, which is usually good. So I'm hopeful we can they can kind of get some momentum here. Absolutely, it would be nice if they had momentum. NXT, uh, which is being called NXT 2.0, that name is absurd. Uh, but NXT is redebuting. Uh, we tape this on Tuesday tonight. Uh, as we tape this, uh, look out for some news regarding that. There's been a whole bunch of shakeups there. AEW still kind of rolling on here with uh, a lot of new people. Daniel Bryan, Adam Cole. Uh, I keep calling him Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, Ruby Soho. Their storylines that they're going. Uh, wrestling is really exciting right now. It's the most exciting it's been in a very 
long time. Uh, congratulations to Biggie. Also, rest in peace, Tupac, 25 years uh, since his death, just the day that we're taping the show, all these things that we can note. Um, and we've also hit the two-hour mark here for the first time in a long time on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We've been trying to keep all our shows to 90 minutes or maybe 105 minutes. Uh, but yeah, we went two hours. I think it's deserving that Biggie got the entire first hour of this episode of Getting Over. But that, what that also means is we need to get out of here. You guys, we've taken enough of your time. So thanks to Chris for joining, of course, as always. A reminder that Getting Over... We're also all about it. That's what we like to see. That's what we saw this week. Please do not forget to leave a five-star rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts. Tell people why you love the show and tell them to listen. Also, please do not forget to follow us on at Getting Overcast. That is it for today. Another show coming Thursday talking NXT and AEW. So for Vintage Christmas this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.